Welcome to Nothing Never Happens. I have with me today Mark Weinblatt, who's the founder and co-director with his wife, Jale Almei, at the Mandela Center for Change, which was founded in 1999 in Port Townsend, Washington. Now, the Mandela Center is a multidisciplinary arts education organization dedicated to community dialogue, social justice, and social transformation. And you can find links to their website uh, on the Nothing Never Happens uh, website page, www.tinapippin.org. So Mark has been a professional theater educator, activist, director, workshop facilitator, for several decades now. <clears throat> he works with adults and youth. He works internationally in places like Afghanistan, Democratic Republic of Congo, Northern Ireland, Norway, Canada, all over the world, South Africa. He works um, in the intersections of race, class, and systemic oppressions of all kinds. Um, he also directs the Poetic Justice Theater Ensemble, which incorporates theater of the oppressed, a uh, theater technique developed by Augusto Barral, and playback theater techniques, which he's going to talk about with us today. Uh, in doing so, he generates community dialogue to solve problems and to create social transformation. Uh, he is also a dedicated parent of four boys. Uh, and you can see his writing on uh, the Mandala Center website. Also, I want to give a shout out to my colleague Toby Emert's book, uh, Come Closer, Critical Perspectives on Theater of the Oppressed. Uh, you'll see the link on the website. Toby co-edited this with Ellie Friedland. And uh, Mark Weinblatt wrote uh, the second chapter of this book with contributions from Cheryl Harrison. Uh, the article is entitled Theater of the Oppressor, Working with Privilege Towards Social Justice. So welcome, Mark, to Nothing Never Happens. Hi, Tina. Thanks for asking me to join you on this show. Well, I'm really glad to have you. You're the first Theater of the Oppressed um, uh, interview that I've done. I'm gonna. I'm committed to doing several because I use theater of the oppressed in all my classes to varying degrees, and have found it um, a, a useful way to uh, create a democratic classroom space. Um, so um, my first question is: Would you introduce our listeners to your work in theater of the oppressed? Um, you know, your major influences, Augusto Boal and others, and how you use theater for social change. Sure, yeah. I mean, um, it's a vast body of work, and uh, we use it in a variety of different ways. I mean, my, my roots, uh, I, I, I don't know how much detail you, you really want with this, but um, I was first exposed to theater of the oppressed back in... Um, 1990, when mm -hmm. I accidentally ran into the founder of the Seattle Public Theater in a pub, actually, <laughs> and uh, yeah. um, she started telling me about uh, the work that they were doing. They were a brand new fringe theater in Seattle, and they were doing theater for dialogue, which was interesting because they were um, asking questions through their theater. They were not 
doing what's known as agitation pro propaganda theater, which most political theaters at that time were doing, but they were, mm -hmm. it, it was just a different take on using theater. And I was very intrigued. And she told me about some work that she was dabbling in the theater of the oppressed work. Um, mm -hmm. She had taken a class, I think Augusto Boal's first class at NYU in mm -hmm. 1989 when he guest taught there. And uh, uh, she brought it back to Seattle and was just trying to test it and see how it worked and did mm -hmm. a few different projects. And as she's telling me about this, I just lit. I just completely yeah. lit. Because I had never heard of anything like it. It really mm -hmm. wasn't known in the U.S. at this time. It was being done in other parts of the world, certainly in Latin America um, and uh, Europe. And in Canada, interestingly, it had been happening in Canada for 10 years, and the U.S. wasn't really doing it. Mm -hmm. So at that time, it started to light in this country, and I knew. I knew mm -hmm. that it was going to go far, and it felt like the combination of everything that I had been looking for. Yeah. So it's interesting now, nearly 30 years later, my sense of where it would go, it has definitely gone and it has spread like, like wildfire mm -hmm. um, through this country and all over the world. And um, it's certainly used in the more classical way that Boal meant it to be used, but it's been adapted and changed and mm -hmm. um yeah and then we we certainly work with it in a variety of ways both the classical way that boal meant it to be with marginalized people for them to explore solutions to their own struggles yeah and we certainly it that way and then i'd be happy to talk with you about some of the other ways that we play with it as well yeah so uh and in many ways, you've become what's called one of Boal's multipliers. Those those folks who take uh, the method and of you know forum theater, um, legislative theater, Rainbow of Desire, whatever, and and make it different based on the stories of the communities you work with. Yeah, and I would say anybody that's practicing theater of the oppressed, I think Augusto would have called them a multiplier. Mm -hmm. uh, he was very gracious with the methodologies and, and the te techniques. He would, you know, very quickly just say, well, here, here are some, here is, here's the theater of the oppressed. Go and, go and do it. And yeah. uh, there, there were, you know, there have been usages of, the techniques that he kind of rolled his eyes at. And I think the only <laughs> thing that I ever heard Augusto say that upset him about the way people used his methodologies was if they used it to help corporations make mm -hmm. more money. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> it definitely comes from a Marxist root, uh, you know, far from all uses of theater of the oppressed are Marxist, but it's definitely the, the source material and his personal um, philosophy of so social change. But um, that was the only place. He was very easy, very open with it. He mm -hmm. was curious about adaptations. I remember at one point he said, he actually wrote to me a month before he died, uh, mm -hmm. sent me an email and said, I'm very curious about your work with 
theater of the oppressed and playback theater. And then yeah. he just named the founders of playback, uh, Jonathan Fox and Joe Salas. And he said, yeah. they're very good people. She had, <laughs> he had, though the work was quite different, came from the same route, the socio-dramatic route, Moreno, but the mm -hmm. application um, certainly for many years was quite different, but he was still open and intrigued. And I really always loved that about Augusto. He he would break his own rules in many ways on a, on a regular basis yeah. as he worked in a community and discovered that, huh, okay, this, this needs to adapt. This needs to change to serve this mm -hmm. purpose. Yeah, exactly. Well, if I could get you to talk about playback theater um, a little bit and the relationship of playback theater to theater of the oppressed. I mean, they've been uh, one of the things that you wrote, I, I saw it referred to as they're, they're like cousins. Um, yeah, I mean, I, there's a number of different ways to uh, talk about it. So, you know, in, interestingly, even though I would definitely call myself first and foremost a theater of the oppressed pra practitioner, mm -hmm. um, I've been doing playback pretty much just as long. And so, Mm -hmm. uh, it, I, was, I was talked into joining Seattle Public Theater by, by Beth Amsbury, as I mentioned, the, the founder mm -hmm. of Seattle Public Theater, and um, their office and small theater was in the Odd Fellows Hall in the Capitol Hill neighborhood of Seattle, mm -hmm. and down the hall was a little brand new playback theater company called Threshold Ensemble mm -hmm. uh, that James Lucal had uh, started uh, and um, and so I got exposed to uh, playback right right about the same time as I was exposed to theater of the oppressed and um, I started an ensemble in 1992 and one mm -hmm. of their actors uh, who was you know one of the finest playback actors in in the world, David Michael Monash, he mm -hmm. auditioned for our company and we cast him. So we had a playbacker in the Theater of the Oppressed Troupe. We actually mm. called it Theater of Liberation. Ah, yeah. Uh, um, and uh, but but it was essentially Bilal's work, right? And yeah. Uh, so David Michael, while part of our Theater of the Oppressed company, and we did form theater plays and. Mm -hmm. performed uh, he started to teach us some playback and we incorporated it we started to develop some performances that combined the two forms so mm -hmm. I'll, I'll pause on that and just say so even though to a lay person a quick glance at the two forms uh, might look similar because they use physical imagery and improvisation yeah, they're actually quite different. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, do you want me to? Uh, uh, yeah, if you could. Yes, if you could talk about how um, you know, in in one of the articles, you say playback serves the teller, with the capital T, and theater of the oppressed uses the teller's story for collective exploration, uh, with a focus yeah. on uh, Boal's concept of the spect actor, not the spectator, that everyone is a participant. Um. Right, and playback theater is interactive as as well because the audience doesn't just sit and watch the show; they're invited to tell stories. Mm -hmm. 
But there is a team of actors, and my own personal opinion is uh, that in performance, the, the acting skill of the actors is actually an important part of it. Whereas in theater, mm -hmm. the oppressive is not unimportant, but it's less yeah. important. It was developed for non-theater people. And mm -hmm. so in the theater of the oppressed, the performers are the community members, uh, the, the group that one is working with. So when yeah. I did many years of work at Seattle Public Theater with homeless youth, mm -hmm. it was street kids. They, they weren't actors, and actually yeah. many of them would have never been caught dead doing a normal play. Mm -hmm. But they were you know, gutsy enough, the ones that I worked with to, to performance, they, they were gutsy enough to you know, all right, yeah, I'll uh, try that, and, and mm. I'll get up on, on stage, but they're, they're people mm -hmm. <laughs> um, living their real lives, and they're there because they care about their own issues uh, and their own struggles, and they actually want to help support, generate dialogue, and both support their own peers as well as perhaps educate the mainstream a little bit. So, you know, why yeah. they're on stage performing is a little bit different, whereas in playback, n certainly not all playback actors are trained actors, but mm -hmm. uh, as I said, acting chops really help, and there's yeah. a lot of other skills in, involved, like deep listening in playback theater, but yeah. so Theater of the Oppressed is more of a popular theater form, uh, mm -hmm. theater of the people, and Boal actually very intentionally and wrote about this, he was trying to popularize theater, to deprofessionalize it. It yeah. had been taken over, theater had been taken over by the professionals, mm -hmm. and well, frankly, just in my opinion, as therapy has been taken over by the professionals, um, it's, mm -hmm. I, I, I think the village used to heal itself, and that's one of the things that I think often happens in theater of the oppressed, is there's really powerful work happening within a community that's yeah. struggling. And through the work, there's some profound uh, healing that goes on. And that's actually a place that playback theater and theater of the oppressed connect because there is profound healing. Mm -hmm. That is not the word Bo Boal would use. He, he was not talking mm -hmm. about it. But that's a word that I would use because that's my experience and observation. Mm -hmm. Both forms are incredibly tonic to the communities that we are working with. Yeah, more skilled actors on stage and playback using a very uh, concrete set of ritualized forms mm -hmm. to hold audience members' story. So mm -hmm. in playback, the audience members will sit in their seats and tell a story, or for the longer form, they will come up on stage and sit in what is known as the teller's chair and tell a story. But still, the yeah. team of actors will perform it back. They will play it back in one of uh, several handfuls of different tightly structured forms. And very mm -hmm. beautiful. It's a very aesthetic form. Whereas, playback, whereas Theater of the Oppressed, the audience members... Mm -hmm. in the performance come on stage and the actors are often their peers yeah um, and the performances well they might be very crafted and tightly the theatricalized but mm -hmm. my observation is some very powerful forum theater can actually be kind of ratty 
you know it's yeah yeah, yeah. Thing isn't mm-hmm. necessarily great but it's real and authentic because they know the stories they're their struggles right yeah uh, and um and it may not be slick but mm-hmm. because the play is performed in forum theater a second time and the audience is invited to yell stop come on mm-hmm. stage take yeah. over the role of the protagonist or in other ad- adaptations of theater of the oppressed other characters like yeah. the witness or i mean I, i'll talk more about how we yeah. played with forum theater um and they come on stage and they try their solutions and again it may not be brilliant acting but it's real and, and authentic mm-hmm. so it's profoundly in, engaging and the medium is theater mm-hmm. so it's alive and and uh, yeah. it, as as a um uh elected official at a, a, a recent legislative theater project we did on health care uh, he had been uh, a hospital commissioner for 44 years, and he left the performance going, this was the most engaging mm. dialogue on healthcare I have ever been a part of. Mm. But that's because it's it's theater. Right? Yes, yes. So <clears throat> several things. So I, I answered your question. I'm sorry. Uh, no, there's, there's so many great question. threads here, you know, Bawal's Games for Actors and Non-Actors, right? And then... Um, with Forum, uh, you know, you talk about in your article on Theater of the Oppressor, uh, and Boal, I heard him talk about this too, where, you know, when he first set up Forum Theater, uh, the spectators could only replace the protagonist. Yeah. Uh, and, and so, um, would you talk a little bit about how you've adapted that and opened it up a little more? With the yeah. oppressors. Well, yeah, and how I've adapted it is is controversial. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, um, now, I, I will preface it by saying sometimes I do the traditional theater of the oppressed where we're analyzing just the protagonist, which Boal would call the, the oppressed yeah. character. So if it's a homeless youth and it's a scene about oppressive family systems and working with the justice system you only come in for the street kid mm-hmm. but, um yeah so that and, and i sometimes do it that way we recently did a transgender youth legislative theater pro- project uh mm-hmm. last fall and we played that one pretty classically. Yeah. However, um, many years ago, and some of this is coming out of my work with Boal and watching mm-hmm. his performances, and um, people would yell stop and say, well, I'd like to replace the um, uh, teacher. Mm-hmm. Boal would say, well, he isn't open oppressed and he wouldn't mm-hmm. let them up on stage yeah and i i could tell i mean i, I re- remember this moment in a performance at the pedagogy and theater of the oppressed conference that this very thing is happening mm-hmm. uh, there's a black theater student in the play there's a black theater student uh who's goes to um his theater prof and is uh, is complaining about lack of good roles for black actors you know mm-hmm. uh, which yeah. is very valid and very common and certainly he's the the oppressed 
in yeah. the situation. But the audience was made up of many teachers. And hmm. at this conference, right? And mm -hmm. I remember this guy wanted to get up and play the teacher and because he felt he was oppressed too. There were forces operating on him. Mm -hmm. And that's what he was struggling with. And he wanted to come and explore solutions to that. I mean, I, I could yeah. see this. And Bilal wouldn't let, let him on. And I, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I was whispering to him. I said, he thinks that guy's oppressed. Mm -hmm. He thinks the teacher is oppressed. And Bilal said, yeah. but he isn't. I, you know, I mean, but Bilal kept forum theater very simple and very clear, which in many contexts was important because the one of the prime directives of theater of the oppressed as it was envisioned was to give an op give voice to the voiceless mm -hmm. to give an opportunity for the marginalized who are often often silenced and invisibilized and oppressed in many ways yeah an opportunity to visibilize and mm -hmm. and you know get the limelight i mean obviously that's critical and and important work but i'm watching in a while performance and then in my own working with people mm -hmm. there's different stories that are needing attention also yes. and so i i opened up forums quite early on in my career because there were other characters that needed to be explored mm -hmm. and frankly you know i mean now many many years later when you start to talk about intersectionality yeah. Um, you know, somebody may be the oppressed and the oppressor in the same moment when you're That's talking right. about a white woman and a man of color in a in in a situation. Who's the oppressed and who's the oppressor? Mm -hmm. um, it, it's it gets more more complicated. So I saw these complications very early on, and I started to explore solutions and learned a ton mm -hmm. in the process and again i think like boal i was adapting to the circumstances that were in front of me and i'm working in the united states yeah and uh where i mean obviously there's plenty of op oppression but there's also a profound a profound amount of privilege mm -hmm. on a lot of levels that operates and yeah. um so i started to explore privilege specifically more and I was in graduate school um, mm. and ended up uh, which had a very strong anti-oppression framework to human de development and education mm -hmm. what mm -hmm. I was studying yeah and um, I had like an epiphany at one point well all right it's great that I'm working with marginalized social groups but looking at myself and the amount of privilege that I carried my body suit, mm -hmm. as a colleague of mine once said, you know, my um, mm -hmm. I'm white, yeah. I'm a guy, I'm cis male, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm straight, I, I come from enough money um, mm -hmm. growing up, I, I, I had no, no disabilities. I mean, all these levels, yeah. all these levels, I was part of the dominant culture, right? Mm-hmm. So um, I'm the oppressor now. That's a you know nobody wants to identify as the oppressor. At least I don't know. Anybody. <laughs> but, yeah. but I have to be accountable to my privilege, and through mm -hmm. my own process of growing awareness around that, I went, huh? Maybe, maybe 
an important thing for me to do is work with my own people. Mm -hmm. So I developed a whole anti-racism for white folks, uh, cheater of the oppressor adaptation. Yeah. Uh, And how, you know, it's still the goal is social, is social justice. It's the same goal as theater of the oppressed, but we're working more from, well, what if people with privilege got out of the way? The oppressed would mm-hmm. still need to rise and, and and empower themselves, but it would be a whole lot easier if uh, people got were, were out of the way. It's a lot easier to get up from oppression if you're not being stepped on. Yeah, yeah, right? exactly. So, I mean, that's a very short way of saying mm-hmm. that um, I actually – and I'm going to say a little bit of controversial stuff here. Mm-hmm. Um, in the theater of the oppressed com- community, there's definitely some concern that theater of the oppressed has lost its radical revolutionary edge. Because mm-hmm. it was a revolutionary tool, you know, a tool for the revol- a rehearsal for the revolution. Is That's sometimes right. Uh-huh. All right. And um, I actually um, think, however, uh, I mean, I'm attracted to revolution too. Don't don't get me wrong. I I am I I I'm definitely part partly that mindset as well. But I actually believe that revolution is a failed model of social change. I mean, I wish I could give a visual here, but if you have a group on top and a group below, um, and you uh, have a revolution, and you revolve it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the oppressed are now now in power if you will but mm-hmm. somebody still down below so it just sometimes becomes a revolve of, of power and the cliche is the oppressed become the oppressor there's mm-hmm. obviously endless examples of that the united states perhaps yeah. being blatant one uh <laughs> yeah in the history of our world <laughs> mm-hmm. Amazing, but 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 we see this again and again, both on a macro level and, and on a micro level, and um, so I'm like going, well, revolution by itself is not enough. In fact, it just recreates a different version of the same problem. It may be a yeah. relief for for groups of people for a while, but we still end up with <laughs> ring around the collar. Uh, you know, it's yeah. Uh, um, so, I, you know, and anyway, all that is to say, theater of the oppressed in the classic form, I still do, I still believe is very important, but by mm-hmm. itself, it's not enough. And, and also, there's a whole lot of other people, even to use um, the Occupy language of mm-hmm. 99% and the 1% per percent is, is the problem, the 1%. Per percent. I mean, I once said said to a colleague, okay, let's let's just kill the 1%. Per, Let's just imagine <laughs> that that one percent is gone. We 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 just eliminate them. Everything's yeah. fine, right? No, uh, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll say one other anecdote on this on why I think it's such an important thing to angle the theater work um, mm-hmm. other than the classic single pro, pro protagonist, mm-hmm. right? Um, uh, when Occupy Wall Street first started, I happened to be in New York about two weeks after it started at Z- Zuccotti Park. So, mm-hmm. of course, I made a beeline down to Zuccotti Park. 
because um, I was very curious what was what was going on there and to see it my, myself. And it had been going for two weeks, and it was very exciting, lot, lots of people there. And I, within mm-hmm. five minutes of getting to the park, I ran into um, a, a young woman that had uh, just trained with me the previous summer, taken the Theater of the Oppressed training that, that I led. And I said to her, hey, how's it uh, going? Uh, great, great to see you. And she said, oh, it's uh, going, it's going great. And there's some problems. And mm-hmm. I, and I kind of knew where she, she was going to go with this. And I said, oh, really? Tell me what, what some of the problems are. She goes, well, there's no safe space for women here. Oh, uh, yeah. And the white guys are taking up all the space. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> so... This is the 99%, right? I mean... Yeah, but the intersectionality there. All um, I've got to say is, who's the oppressed and mm-hmm. who's the oppressor? Not yeah. that simple. And if and I think to try to approach it from a simplistic angle, it mm-hmm. doesn't work. It just doesn't work. Yeah, there are too many uh, complications. Well... Can I get you to talk, um, like, take us through uh, a specific approach and ex- a specific example, either with the transgender or the homeless youth, or uh, where you're approaching um, an issue of systemic oppression and uh, through um, uh, what you call rainbow fluid, cop in the head, forum theater, playback theater, you know, how you um how the community through their stories began to find uh alternative ways to transform their situation does that make sense yeah i mean you're you named a lot of different techniques and you know rarely do all of them appear in the same project um i mean on some level uh, i have a large toolbox and we use them differently in different contexts as mm-hmm. it seems to, to be most useful. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I, I think that's the same as, you know, when, when do you use a Phillips head screwdriver, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> kind of ob, ob, obvious stuff. But I, mm-hmm. I think how I want to respond to your uh, question uh, and because this is a theater of the oppressed focused conversation, and mm-hmm. I'll talk a little bit about le- legislative theater, okay. um, which is uh, not done um, that much in this country. It's not that done that much in the world. It's definitely mm-hmm. being done. And I'll just give a little brief background on it, um, and then I'll talk about the projects and how some of the techniques that you named were used. Okay. Throughout our, we we did three. Le- we've done three legislative theater projects and approached uh-huh. three of them, all three di- differently. Um, okay, that's good. Uh, that's helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so legislative theater for listeners that aren't aware of is a, a later adaptation of the theater of the oppressed that Bawal did. Uh, and I, I, I have to share the story because it's such a funny story as Bawal told it. Mm-hmm. So he, uh, um, he a, a, ended up uh, after developing the early body of theater of the oppressed, he was um, 
arrested, tortured, and exiled to Europe. Um, and he went to first to Portugal and then to Paris, and he developed the work further doing the Rainbow of Desire body of work, the cop in the head and other te techniques, more mm -hmm. of the internalized uh, uh, techniques of theater of the oppressed. Um, yeah. And then after the political climate in Brazil changed, he was welcomed back to Brazil after 10, ten years. And he was living and continuing his development of theater of the oppressed in Brazil. And then just to cut to legislative theater, Mm -hmm. One day, his colleagues in the Workers' Party said, we would like you to run for Variador, mm -hmm. uh, essentially a city councilman in uh, Rio, where, where he lived. Uh, we would like you to run for Variador as a representative of the Workers' Party. And he goes, well, I'm, I'm not a politician. I'm a, <laughs> I'm a theater person. Yeah. Um, and they apparently said to him, I, I, I believe I'm telling the story accurately. They apparently mm -hmm. said, said him, well, you won't win. <laughs> um, we, we just want you because you're so char charismatic to draw mm -hmm. a lot of attention to, um, to what we're trying to do. Now, this is mm -hmm. the, the, a party that Lula ultimately won the presidency some, some years later. So oh, that's there right. was a lot of um, uh, so Boal said, all right, okay, I'll uh, run, you know, ju just for kicks. Well, he won. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and at first he was a, a little panicked because that's not his thing. He, he does theater, right? Um, yeah. And he had a brilliant, wonderful I idea. He would take, as he told the story, he said, well, I have this budget. Isn't that great? Well, I have to hire a lawyer and have to hire an accountant, um, bookkeeper, wh whatever. But um, I'll hire my my theater group. I'll <laughs> hire CTO Rio, um, uh, Center of Theater of the Oppressed Rio, the mm -hmm. uh, my team. And mm -hmm. he did that. He used his budget to send them out into different pockets of the com community uh, to do theater of the oppressed. So he, mm -hmm. you know, one worked with black students at the university. One worked with battered women. One worked mm -hmm. with street youth. One, I mean, you can see. One worked yeah. with blind people uh, and so on, and they developed troops um, uh, in those different pockets of marginalized communities, and they brought back forum theater plays, but specifically plays that would invite dialogue on potential legislation, mm -hmm. new laws. And they would use, they would do these forum theater performances, some, sometimes in a festival of forum theater plays, uh, and Boal added a piece to the forum. He added a legislative theater piece, which was a theatricalized or mock le legislature, mm -hmm. where we would, we would have the audience, regular people, uh, propose laws and then vote to pass or not pass them. Mm -hmm. um, and so he would basically get people's opinions on what laws they would like to be be put in place, and then he would um, turn yeah. those into legal la language and propose them in chambers in the real legislature. That's great. Would, yeah. I mean, this is the only true democracy I've ever, I've ever heard of, where mm -hmm. you know the, the elected official isn't doing what he wants or she wants or they want. He's he's mm -hmm. he was doing what the people asked for. And people who mm -hmm. are marginalized and never get their voice, what they really want, nobody even yeah. pays, pays a, 
attention to. He got 13 laws passed in, the, in this manner. Um, so, you know, it was interesting. He was a real le legislator doing le legislative theater. Now, usually legislative theater is done by theater of the oppressed people, right? So mm -hmm. we're, we're not le legislators. So the trick is to get legislators to A, be intrigued enough with the methodology to mm. want to come, and then B, take the will of the people very seriously that come out of the performances and uh, actually try to get some maybe unexpected laws passed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and we've, or, and for me, legislative theater um, isn't just useful with legislators, they can, any policymakers who have the power mm -hmm. to change things in their systems. Yeah. Um, and I can give some very specific anecdotes about that if you, you know, to get, if you want me to get back to how we've adapted or how we've used legislative. concludes part one of our conversation with Mark Weinblatt of the Mandala Center for Change on Theater of the Oppressed. In part two, Mark's going to talk to us about playback theater and specific outcomes that come from his work in social justice.